the, what the story is. So Ruth chapter 2, in between uh, Judges and 1 Samuel is where you'll find it. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter at once this morning to take in the whole story, and then we're going to circle back to consider its meaning and application for our lives. But first let me just catch you up uh, on what happened in chapter 1. Uh, there was a woman named Naomi who left the Bethlehem in Judah during the period of Israel's history known as the Judges, a time when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, she and her husband and her two sons went to the neighboring country of Moab, uh, seeking a better life. They were trying to escape a famine that had hit the land, but it didn't turn out to be better in Moab. Her husband and her two sons both died there. Uh, leaving Naomi a widow and leaving her with two daughters-in-law from Moab who were also widows. They were named Orpah and Ruth. So Naomi decided that she would go back home to Bethlehem after about 10 years being away. And she urged her daughters just to stay back home, stay in Moab. That's where you're from. Uh, Orpah decided to do that. Ruth wouldn't. She clung to Naomi and wouldn't leave her. So the two of them returned to Bethlehem with Naomi having become a very bitter woman about her misfortunes in life. Um, and so she returns bitter, but bringing with her this unknown foreigner, this Moabite woman uh, who is now her daughter-in-law. So these are two women who come back pretty much at the bottom of things, um, alone in the world, vulnerable. But they come back at the time when the famine is over, and there is the beginning of the barley harvest. And so things are looking up a little bit. So now we find out what happens after that. So let's read Ruth chapter 2 and see what it says, and then we'll pray for God's help to understand. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz answered, or said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this rich record of the events of the lives of two seemingly insignificant people in history. And yet you've preserved it for us because of the message that's here, this hidden thread of redemption that weaves through this book and we ask for eyes to see it today and to take notice of your mercies and your grace towards your people and to be encouraged, um, to have our souls filled up and satisfied by your goodness. So open our eyes, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are, I suppose, I think, two ways that you can move forward in life whenever you find yourself in need or in distress. One is you just look at your circumstances and you take the course of action that seems best to you and then you hope it all works out. Um, that was actually the method that Naomi took uh, with her family back in chapter 1 when they left the promised land to go find something better. Um, but it didn't actually work out that way, which is why she's back in Bethlehem. The other way to do things is to look at your circumstances and then cast yourself onto the Lord for help. And then take the course of action that seems best to you and to the Holy Spirit and trust the Lord for whatever happens. That's the path that our passage invites us to take. 
The account of Ruth stepping out alone into the fields of Bethlehem is an encouragement about what you and I can expect God to be for us when we venture out in faith, doing His will as far as we're able to discern it. Those who step out in faith will find that the Lord does not forsake those who take refuge in Him. The Lord does not forsake those who take refuge in Him. Whatever situation you find yourself in, the Lord will show Himself to be your refuge. That's what I believe Ruth's story is meant to show us in this chapter. It's a truth to believe, it's a truth to act on, as well as to share with others. So let's look at the text and uh, follow the story, follow the storyline. Ruth's story begins with stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith. Here you've got Naomi and Ruth, recently arrived in town from Moab. No job, no husband, and no children either to take care of them. They're probably living off of whatever resources they brought with them and the generosity of strangers. Um, But they need a more permanent solution, right? And a more viable means to stay alive in Bethlehem. So we're told in verse 1 that Naomi has a relative of her husband named Boaz, who is a worthy man. Uh, We're not told yet how he's going to factor into the picture, but that sounds encouraging. Uh, Maybe something will come from that. But at the present time, something needs to be done. So Ruth says to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now let's stop and and get a picture of what Ruth is actually facing when she makes that decision to go do that. In one sense, it's an entirely practical situation, a practical decision about what she wants to do. It was expected in those days that if you're poor, um, you could go out into the fields and you could glean after the reapers. Uh, In fact, in the Law of Moses, in Leviticus, It was actually uh, a command that you shall not reap to the edges of your field so that people could pick up what's left there. Um, In Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So it wouldn't be a surprise for a poor widow Uh, to be seen out in somebody's field picking up grain after the reapers. That would be expected, and that's a practical thing for Ruth to go do. That's where she can find some food. But it was also dangerous to do that, especially for her. Um, Remember, this is the time of the judges when every man does what is right in his own eyes. So there's no guarantees about what's going to happen when she goes out there. She might go into the fields, and she might run into landowners who aren't following that rule from Leviticus. And they are gleaning right up to the edge of the field, and they're not leaving anything behind. So she might just come back empty. Moreover, she could be sexually assaulted. I think that's implied in Naomi's later advice to Ruth, where she says, stick with the young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. She expects uh, that that can be your, your, your lot 
Uh, there are roving people out there. If you read through the story of Judges, you find a lot of wickedness and depravity, and that's out there. And, and, and Naomi is concerned that this could happen to Ruth because she's a young woman. She's from another country. She's got no relatives, nobody to stand up for her. So very vulnerable position to be in. And yet Ruth speaks of going into the fields with language of faith. She doesn't say, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain, and I hope nothing bad happens to me. She says, let me go into the field and glean after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Uh, in the fields of someone who's kind enough to let me glean, she's hopeful, she's even expectant that she's going to run into somebody like that. That's an act of faith. That's walking forward in faith. It's a connection to her hope in God, the God of Israel, on whom she has cast herself. Uh, she said to Naomi in chapter 1, Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. She made a conscious decision to leave behind the gods of Moab and to venture forth in her new commitment to this God. In fact, Boaz, when he meets her later, praises her for having come under the wings of God, uh, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That, that this is what she's done in her departure from Moab. She's come to take refuge under the wings of God. And it's with that attitude that she goes forward and goes out into the fields alone. Now we need to contrast her with Naomi at this point. Now we might wonder, why hasn't Naomi volunteered <laughs> to go out there with her? Wouldn't that be better? Two are better than one as far as picking up grain, but also a little bit of a safety factor there. Um, why, why didn't she go? Um, Ruth says, I want to go out there, and, and, and uh, Naomi says, go, my daughter. You know, sure, go do that. <laughs> um, what are we to make of that? Maybe her age is a factor. Uh, she had said in chapter one, I'm too old to have a husband, which is probably a little bit pessimistic. She's got a young daughter-in-law who was married to a young son and so if you were married early as you probably were in those days Ruth's probably in her 50s at most um, I'm in that category of 50s and I'm hoping that I still can turn in a day's work you know I don't think age should prevent you from being able to go out there for a few hours um, it seems like it's got to be more than that that's holding her back uh, so what is it I think we can say with some certainty that Naomi's own faith has been shaken uh, by her misfortunes. Her, her faith has been shaken by the loss of her husband, the loss of her sons, uh, the shame of coming back with, with a foreign daughter-in-law that she's not supposed to have because they weren't supposed to marry into, you know, outside of Israel. I think she's got all of this, and her faith is, is shaken. She's bitter. We know that. She's bitter at losing her husband and sons. Uh, it seems that she doesn't have much expectation of anything good happening from God. And in that condition, it's very easy to spiral down into discouragement and depression, uh, find it hard to get out and take any steps of faith. So if somebody else comes along and says, hey, uh, I'm going to go down to the grocery store and get, get us something. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Go do it. Um, 
It's hopelessness. It's, it's discouragement. It's depression. It's a belief that God is not good. And, and that leads easily to a life of inactivity. Uh, waiting and worrying. Uh, you don't want to go out into the world that seems so hostile to you. And God seems to have abandoned you. I think that's where Naomi was. And perhaps you've been there too. I know I have been at different times. Uh, hopelessness drains your energy. Uh, drains the life out of you. You don't, you don't want to get up in the morning. <laughs> um, you don't feel like making any big plans. You think, what's the use? But there's a way to break out of that cycle. There's a way out of the dungeon of despair. And I believe it is to, to believe that God is good and that he's committed to doing us good and that he will not forsake us. And in fact, the next part of the story, I believe, is calculated to convince us of that. That God is good, will do us good, and will not forsake us. So let's follow Ruth out into the field to see what happens next. She finds refuge. This is about finding refuge. In verse 3, we're told that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to go there. I love the way that's written. That's written from our vantage point, not from God's. But she happened to show up at the part of the field that belongs to Boaz, of all people, uh, this worthy man that we've been flagged uh, about earlier, this relative of Naomi's late husband. It's written almost like, you know, by blind luck. Uh, you know, isn't it amazing that this happened? Who would have thought? Uh, but this is no chance event. This is no lucky break. Uh, because we know from the scriptures that whether we're aware of it or not, there's a God over this world, and that all seemingly chance events are underneath his sovereign control and direction. Because God is the Father of whom Jesus said, not a bird will fall to the ground apart from him. Uh, he is the God who, according to Job, covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. So what could be more random than where a bird lands on the ground or where lightning strikes and yet the scripture says God directs that to the exact point where it strikes, where the exact bird falls to the ground. God is directly involved in those events. He's causing them to happen as they do. So Ruth didn't just step out into a world where things just happen, <laughs> where no one's in charge. She stepped out into a world where, according to the psalmist, Psalm 138, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. So, friends, we need to see the world that way ourselves. We need to see that it's not just you against the world. Uh, it's not just you needing to have all the wisdom necessary to figure out the best, best pathway to go or, or to have the resources to control everything and manipulate everything that can affect you. That's God's territory. <laughs> That's the Lord's business. We don't have to be involved in that level. Uh, God is at work. This is His world. This is my Father's world. One of the songs says, um, no chance event. You're stepping out into a world where God is in control and He's involved in everything related to you. So if you belong to Jesus by faith, 
You're not going to walk out of the doors of this building today into a world of just chance and random events that are happening and dangerous galore. You walk out into your homes, you walk out into your jobs and into your schools and into the public square under the providential care of God whose eye is on the sparrow and he watches over you. That's one of the hymns says that. Nothing, either good or bad, just happens to you in some undirected, non-purposeful way. Your computer just doesn't happen to crash. Uh, you don't just happen to have Donald Trump for a president. You don't just happen to hear about a good job opportunity that leads to a career. And you don't just happen to glean in a field that belongs to your worthy relative. God directs these things. And he directs them according to his ultimate purposes, which is that he gets glory in the salvation of his people, which is what we're going to see this, where everything is headed in the book of Ruth. So Ruth steps out in faith. She's immediately acted on by this God whom she pledged herself to. This is the same God that's acting in your life and will act as you step out in faith, trusting him for the next step. As Psalm 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. In Ruth's case, she came to the field of Boaz. Now, who is Boaz? We learned already that he's a relative of Naomi's late husband, but not his brother. He's a little more distant than that. Uh, we heard that he's a worthy man. And right away, we can see why he's worthy. Um, the first words out of his mouth in verse 4, when he visits his workers, is, The Lord be with you. And they answer back, The Lord bless you. This is a man who fears the Lord. This is a man whose most immediate and evident quality is that he's devout. He, he fears God, and, and he has an influence on others, even his workers. He, he, he attracts those kind of men and those that he's, he's being influential over for the Lord's sake. Uh, we might say today that he's a Christian businessman who, who runs his business under the fear of the Lord. That's who Boaz is. He's a good guy. Now, apparently Boaz has never seen Ruth because he asked his servant, whose young woman is this? But he has heard about her. Later, he'll say to Ruth, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. So somebody, could have been Naomi, might not have been her, but somehow word gets to him about the story of this Moabite woman who came with Ruth, uh, or came with Naomi and, and all that she did for her. And so, so then he meets her, and then he deals with her, and his dealings with her are full of generosity and kindness. Three things are obvious. First, he protects her. Verses 8 and 9, he says, Do not glean in another field. Keep close to my young women. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? That's protection. Uh, immediately, he's concerned for her safety. Immediately, he's concerned for her welfare. Um, he's using his rightful owner authority as the owner of the field to keep her safe from harm. That's number one, protection. Second, he provides for her. Verse 9, when you are thirsty, 
Go to the field, go to the vessels and drink what the young women have drawn, young men have drawn. Then later he says in verse 15, let her glean even among the sheaves, do not reproach her, and pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So basically he's just, he's just making sure she gets a whole bunch of grain. Uh, not just picking up the scraps after us, but go over there where they're putting it all, where they're, where they're throwing all the bundles together. There's probably a lot more of it. You can glean there. And I'm even going to tell my guys, you know, leave a few more out for her so that she can get those too. They're, they're even going to do the work for you. <laughs> and uh, she eats at his table later on. You know, he passes roasted grain to her. Uh, and she's satisfied, it says. She's had enough to eat probably for the first time in a long time. Um, and then when she, when she actually threshes out her grain at the end of the day, she's got an effa, which is about 30 to 50 pounds of barley. That's like a big old sack of flowers worth. This is a virtuous woman. She had to haul that home. You know, that's, this much, she knows how to work. <laughs> provision. She gets that. Generous provision. Third, Boaz commends Ruth. And he gives her a blessing. Listen to verse 11 and following. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You just got to think, you got to put yourself in Ruth's Ruth's shoes here. She, you know, is she expecting this? And she's got faith. She's got faith, right? But this has to be sweet music to her ears. You know, to be this impoverished widow, this foreigner, this person who's likely to be assaulted as much as, as fine grain. And she comes onto this field and, and what does she get? She gets protected. She gets somebody who's lavishing her with food. And then on top of that, he's praising her. She's not even from Israel. She, she, she doesn't have any connection to them at all. And yet, here's a man, a man of standing of all people, a guy who owns a business, and he's praising her. May the Lord repay you. That's a blessing. Uh, this all has to be music to her ears. Um, what Ruth found as she stepped out of her door into the unknown of, was a refuge. Really, refuge, we talked about this a few weeks ago from Psalm 46, the place of safety. Uh, and that's what she finds there. She finds what she needs. She's got protection. She's got food. She's even got praise, commendation. That's a refuge. And she gets it underneath the Lord, whose wings, under whose wings she has come to seek refuge. Isn't this really an illustration of what God promises to be for us in Jesus Christ? Isn't this a picture of what the Lord does for all who come to seek refuge in Him? I guarantee you that it is. This is not a story just of widows from an ancient time. God preserved this to give us another picture of what you and I have when we step out in faith toward Jesus and put our trust in Him. Do you have protection as a believer? You have protection from the most deadly danger and the only eternal danger that there is, which is the penalty for your sin. 
But Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. That's the protection that we need. We need the the guilt, the punishment of our sin to be dealt with in somebody else because if we were to get it ourselves, we couldn't endure. We'd be paying it forever. But Jesus stands in our place. He protects us from the ultimate death. Do you have provision? We have that too under the wings of God. Paul tells us in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things needful on the path of faith. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, like food and clothing and shelter, will be added to you. Yeah, we have provision. Do you have commendation, though? Do you have Do you have praise from God? That one's a little trickier. If you're aware of your sin, if you're sort of in the place of of Naomi and and maybe bitter and maybe have lost faith and you wonder what's God's attitude toward me. But if you're one of his, listen to this. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians who had a lot of problems, but they were God's church. He said, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. (laughs) When the Lord comes, when he closes the chapter on this world and he brings judgment, the Lord will disclose, he will open up what's in everybody's heart And every motive behind every action will be exposed. But if you're a member of the true church of Jesus Christ, if you belong to him by faith, if you're a son or a daughter, you're going to hear commendation from God. Praise. You will hear praise. You will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You will hear God Rejoice over you with loud singing. That's Zephaniah 3.17. Not because you've earned the praise, because we don't, (laughs) but because your spiritual sacrifices are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5. God's attitude towards you, even now, is one of commendation if you have come to Christ as your refuge. Before Ruth even met Boaz, Boaz was already favorable towards Ruth. And so it is for us. You haven't seen him yet, but you will see him. And he will say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. That's his heart toward us in Christ. You have a refuge in God And like Ruth, you'll be satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus because he's our refuge, our protection, our provision, our praise. And he can be that for you even when earthly, by earthly standards, you don't seem to be full (laughs) and satisfied. 
Like Paul, we can learn in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul stepped out in faith and Paul got stoned. Paul got shipwrecked. Paul got betrayed by people. Paul got chained to a, to a prison wall. And yet, in all of that, he also said, I've learned to be content. He said, we can find peace in having nothing, yet possessing everything. We can say with David of the Lord that he has put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So when your grain and wine don't abound, when your life's not going well, there's a way to have more joy than if it did. And we can have that when we know Christ, our refuge. When we know that we're under His wings and that nothing can pass underneath those wings that He doesn't permit for the ultimate purpose of doing us good. Our soul can be satisfied in Him alone. He's enough. Well, the, Ruth found the Lord to be her refuge when she walked out into the fields of Bethlehem and she was satisfied. But her, but her story doesn't end there because we still have Naomi back home. Discouraged, depressed, not full of energy, not ready to go out to the world and do anything. How does this story end? Well, it, it ends with sharing hope. Sharing hope with Naomi. Story turns back to Naomi after Ruth finishes up her gleaning for the day and she heads home. Uh, the last time we saw Naomi, she was sitting there despondent, inactive. She's processing her bitterness towards God for her hard life. She doesn't really believe that God is good, at least not to her. Um, she's a woman without much hope about her own future. It wasn't even her idea for Ruth to go out into the fields that day. She just said, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that if you want to. Naomi is a woman struggling to find something good to look forward to. And then Ruth comes home, and she has this big sack of grain. <laughs> and she has leftovers from her lunch. And when Naomi wants to find out where she gleaned, she says, well, it's in the field of a man named Boaz. Have you ever heard of Boaz? Do you know Boaz? <laughs> yeah, I know Boaz. This man is a relative of ours. This man is a redeemer, which is a word that's going to become really important in the next chapter. Um, she comes home and Naomi hears all this, takes all this in, this good news about Boaz being so gracious to her and ultimately to Naomi by extension. And the effect of this good news moves, moves Naomi. Uh, hope is kindled in her soul. And she begins to believe again that God has not forsaken her. Listen to what she says to Ruth in verse 20. After hearing that Boaz is the one responsible for this bounty, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is really amazing stuff coming out of Naomi's mouth at this point. Um, the last thing we ever heard Naomi say about the Lord was that the Almighty has brought calamity on me. She said that four or five different ways in chapter 1. She's so aware of how hard life is because God seems to be against her. And now she's saying, 
may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now that is a commendation of Boaz. He's obviously the one that supplied the grain, so may he be blessed for his kindness. But this actually has a trajectory beyond Boaz. This has a bigger picture in mind because it's a statement about the Lord and his kindness. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord, by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That seems to be in Naomi's mind, living and the dead. Boaz isn't being you know, faithful. He's not forsaking the dead. He's just giving grain to the living. But when Naomi receives this gift, she's thinking, wait a minute, God, God hasn't forsaken me. Maybe this isn't the end of the line for Naomi. <laughs> Maybe there will be a heritage yet for her former husband Elimelech and her sons Malon and Chilion. Maybe, maybe there's going to be an, a, a heritage yet. Maybe this is the first sign of, of God intervening in my life to, to bring about something good. That's, I think, what's going on in her mind. There's a glimmer of hope that something's on the horizon. She sees with new eyes that the Lord has not forgotten her, that, that His kindness has not forsaken her. He hasn't deserted her. He hasn't left her without help. The Hebrew word she uses for kindness is hesed, which is often translated, most often translated in the Old Testament, steadfast love. Steadfast love. It's the word to use God, that's used to describe God's covenant love with his people, his never-failing, won't-let-you-go commitment. Uh, commentator Ian Duguid describes hesed this way. He says its, its meaning includes love, grace, mercy, kindness, all of the positive acts of devotion that flow out of a covenantal relationship. So what seems to be rising in Naomi's soul is the belief that God has not forsaken his covenant love towards her as one of his own. There's a future. There's a hope, despite the hard things that have happened. She's remembering the stuff she would have learned as a kid growing up, the things that she believed, but the thing, that they seem not to be true then for a while. But the hope's reviving. Maybe that's still true. Maybe I wasn't fooled. God really is this way. He really won't let me go. That's what's rising in her soul. And it happens through Ruth, who took a step of faith, who saw God meet her needs, who saw God become a refuge, and she brings that home to Naomi. And Naomi's encouraged. There's a lesson in that for us, friends, because it speaks about how we encourage one another. All of us are going to be tempted at some point to become like Naomi was, bitter, discouraged, depressed, despondent, whatever, because of some hard thing. Not completely abandoning the faith, but just kind of going around like, I don't really expect anything good anymore. My life's just going to be hard. I hope it ends up okay. We can get like that. 
We can get like that. But we don't have to be in that place. We don't have to stay that place because there are evidences in this world of God and the reality of his love toward us, the reality and the, and the assurance of his steadfast love to all who put their trust in Jesus, those evidences are there. And we have the privilege of making it known to one another, of reminding one another of God's covenant faithfulness to us. Beginning with, remember, there was a person on this earth, a God-man, on whom God laid your sins and condemned him for those sins so that you would be forgiven and be in his favor. We start, we start there. One of those evidences. We remind each other of the new covenant in Jesus' blood, which Jeremiah 31 described as, I will be your God and you shall be my people. I will forgive your iniquity and I will remember your sin no more. We remind each other of that. We remind each other about what God's doing in the world also for our own encouragement that that's not just something that happened thousands of years ago, it's right now. Uh, I opened up my email this morning. I don't usually do that, but I was... I was kind of ahead, you know, like I wasn't like rushing to finish. <laughs> it's very rare. Um, so I opened my email and I get an email from a missionary friend of mine and he was in Iowa last month you know, in October uh, for a student conference. He was part of it. And he, uh, he, he, he wrote this about his time there. The conference was held at Iowa State University. Uh, it was students of all believers. He said, nearly a thousand students gathered from four states in the Midwest to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. They prayed together, they studied the word together, they responded to God together. A new generation from the Midwest has God's kingdom on their hearts. And that encouraged my soul. <laughs> because I tend to be very pessimistic about the seeming absence of faith and robust Christianity uh, in our culture. But there's evidence there that the Lord is working. 1,000 students now. These are the young college kids. 1,000 just from four states, just in this one ministry, not even all the Christians. And they're pressing in. They're following the Lord. That encourages my soul. That tells me that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's another example of it. You see, we need to share those things with each other. For our encouragement to hope revives, God is faithful. We can be the bearers of good news so that we remember the hidden thread of redemption is always running through this world and your life right now. We have the privilege, the responsibility of doing that for each other. And yes, that's going to include sharing what you have. Uh, Ruth didn't just bring back a report, she also brought back grain. <laughs> and that's our privilege also, to bear one another's burdens as we're able uh, to, to, to feed, to fix things, <laughs> to come over and sit for an hour when you're, when you're hurting. Those are all ways that we remind one another where there's a living God. And in this moment, this living God is coming to you to sit by you and meet a need that you have. We have that privilege, and hope rises, and we get through another day. But once the food is eaten, 
or your dryer's fixed or the lawn is mowed or whatever else you provide, what's going to yield the lasting benefit is the knowledge that God is a refuge for us. Real peace comes from trusting the truth of Psalm 34, 8. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. May the Lord help us to be like Ruth this week, stepping out in faith, finding God to be the refuge we need, whether we have little or much, and sharing hope in the Lord's steadfast love with one another. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your steadfast love. It never gives up. It was already, you were already giving that to us from the foundation of the world. Your, your love is an everlasting love, and we thank you. And we ask for those eyes to see it. But also, Lord, to not contain it within ourselves when we hear good news, but to, to spread it around in our care groups and in our other meetings, to be means of grace to each other because you're a living and active God. And so, Lord, help us to see that and to take heart. We thank you that over, over this world, you are watching and you are directing and you're doing it all for your glory and our joy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.